0: AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Brett Johnson, with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And right now we are joined by the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota reformer, Patrick Kulikan, as we are going to be talking about some of the stories they have been working on, as well as some some major uh, Minnesota news stories that are going on right now, at least in the political realm, that are kind of changing by the hour. So we'll do our best to cover those. So, Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. Well, didn't even get a chance to announce some of these stories, but let's get right into some of the some of the big stories affecting our Minnesota Congress people. And let's start off with Republican Tom Emmer, who as of right now is still running for Speaker of the U.S. House, but could potentially be facing some roadblocks since it looks like up to 26 House Republicans are probably not going to end up supporting Emmer in the end. Now, you wrote in a column yesterday kind of handicapping Tom Emmer's chances at becoming Speaker. So I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are on this and whether Emmer is technically Trumpy enough to become Speaker, because in my mind, he seems like a pretty Trumpy guy, but it seems like to many of these 26 uh, far right House Republicans, even Tom Emmer is not quite Trumpy enough to become Speaker.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that'll come as a surprise uh, to the listeners who think of Tom Emmer as a pretty rock ribbed conservative um, and, and an early and, and pretty loyal. Uh, endorser of president trump back in in 2016 um but the uh, the reality is he he has uh, created some separation uh from the former president first off by uh voting to uh um to confirm the um 2020 uh, election results uh which again I'm, I'm sure your listeners think well uh of course he did that that was the- the proper thing to do he also uh... he uh, castigated the the violence of january six and that is uh, seen as is uh, um, a slap in the face of trump and the trump movement and um, just minutes ago uh... the the uh... the president put out on his own social media site uh... he uh... he said these uh uh globalist, I think, was how he described uh, um, Tom Emmer, and um, and so I think a lot of people are thinking that uh, Tom Emmer, who, who won the nomination inside the Republican caucus, um, despite those 26 no's, and he was going to work on bringing those 26 along, that when Trump comes along and says he can't be Speaker, uh, that might be the death knell of his candidacy for Speaker, so it might have been a, a very short uh, Thirty minutes of national glory for Tom Emmer—a
0: <laughs> very short, yeah, yeah, very short period of glory for Tom Emmer. But we'll see later on this afternoon when I think they might be trying to bring this to the House floor. But it, you talked about the fact that he—he uh, he is viewed as kind of being a—I don't know if I necessarily more moderate, but definitely kind of a, a more of a connection maybe to the financial industry and not kind of the more populist right-wing Republican that you see now. And I know in your column you brought up that he's certainly been a big ally of cryptocurrency, even though there's very little of a crypto market in the 6th District, which he currently represents right now. So I guess this just kind of goes to my point. Is this, would have he had a better chance, let's see... Running in two thousand thirteen, when you had a very different Republican Party, as opposed to two thousand twenty three, because I guess where I'm kind of going with this is that is he viewed as being kind of too much of an ally of big business and big financial markets with his alliance with kind of crypto. So I'm curious if that is probably paying in that playing into that too, in addition to the obvious Trump angle as well.
1: I, I think that he he does come from an older strain of the Republican Party. Um, he, he was he was kind of a more libertarian and, um, you know, he's, he's old enough to have been, um, an enthusiastic supporter of, of someone like Ronald Reagan. And, and then remember he runs for governor here in Minnesota in 2010. That's so the ultimate Tea Party year. Um, and so I think that's really more of his, uh, party, um, more libertarian. He's, he's often been a, uh, a champion of banking deregulation, lower taxes, smaller government. And uh, that's, that's not really Trump's party. Um, and That's just not the Trump movement. Uh, even though I think that there's a lot of support, uh, obviously the numbers show it for, for more Trumpian-style Republicanism in the 6th District. So there's a, a little bit of a, a mismatch there. Um, but the, the advantage he does have is that as the, three, the number three guy in, that, in the Republican conference, He has a lot of relationships with a wide cross section of of the conference, Um, and in fact, I think I read uh, earlier that Matt Getz of all people, the the uh, conservative or right wing firebrand, was actually working on his behalf. Um, So I think his support um, is pretty wide ranging. Um, But uh, and he also was the chair of the NRCC. That's the that's the uh, House Republicans uh campaign on and he helped a lot of these guys get elected and uh, when uh women get elected and uh raise money for them. He recruited some of them. He he uh he uh campaigned for them. So uh he has those relationships. The problem is that they, the the caucus discipline is completely broken down and um so he's got twenty six no votes at this point. Very that's a very uh steep hill to climb um and i think in, in my experience with caucus politics there's a vote and the guy who the man or woman who wins that's who the num, that's who's going to be the speaker or the majority leader whatever the case may be and uh, that is just completely broken down in that republican uh caucus and so uh who knows how long this is going to go on
0: let's talk now about another uh, congressperson from minnesota that's been in the news and we'll go to the democratic side with dean phillips who looks like he is ready to announce a run for president of the united states as he'll possibly be challenging uh, joe biden for the democratic nomination uh already on twitter uh, there was someone who spotted a dean phillips for president campaign bus so that kind of lets the cat out of the bag in terms of what his plans are but I'm curious uh, who exactly he is planning on appealing to with this campaign, because I'll I'll take this back to the speaker's race as well, where Phillips recently put out a tweet laying out some conditions uh. saying that uh, he would be willing to vote present, thereby reducing the threshold Republicans would need to elect a speaker if certain conditions were met. So sort of going off on his own with possibly negotiating with Republicans. So he's been bi- Over the past year or so, trying to sort of establish himself as almost kind of being this maverick type of Democrat uh, that doesn't necessarily go along with the party lines right now. So I'm, I'm curious with this presidential campaign, kind of what the reaction has been from the DFL. Well, he hasn't officially announced it yet. And who exactly he is trying to appeal to in this race? Because as I mentioned, he's not exactly friendly with some members of the Democratic establishment right now with this possible campaign.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I over the summer you and I talked, and I wrote a column saying, like, I think that Democrats ought to listen to Phillips about the dangers going into this next mm-hmm. election cycle with the president. whose his poll numbers are down, and especially with young voters, and that the president's age was a real, a real problem. And I I applauded uh, Phillips for raising these issues, and and he was encouraging other folks to to get in and have at least a nominal primary. Um, and I and I applauded that effort. Um, I, I'm really uh, not thinking this is a, a wise move by Phillips uh, either for himself or for the party, um, and this, this doesn't look like it's going in a, a good direction at all. I mean, he is uh, um, his campaign, like on the bus, is something like "make um, America affordable again," mm-hmm. and it's not. You don't really want to be giving the uh, the opposition any mission like that. Uh, he's gone out and hired uh, Steve Schmidt. He's kind of a um, you know, he's every every Democrat's favorite Republican. He was John McCain's campaign uh, uh, campaign manager, I think, both, both in 2000 and 2008, um, and, or at least definitely in 2008. And uh, just kind of a mercenary guy who must have cost a fortune uh, for Phillips to hire him. Um, and uh, I, I just don't think there's, like, much heft to this. Uh, to this effort. Um, He he doesn't, he needs to get some Democrats on board and he obviously hasn't. The other thing is that, you know, we're in the middle of this international crisis that the president seems to be in in my view, uh, handling pretty ably here. Um, And so it just seems like a bad look um, to be um, running against him. Uh, So um, I still stand by the, the idea that, that Democrats, uh, would be better off with at least a nominal primary. I just never really thought that Dean Phillips was the guy who should be running it. And um, certainly don't think that uh, uh, today either.
0: Yeah, we'll have to wait for the official launch since it looks like that is uh, probably going to happen, just given the hints that he's been dropping. And now, well, we're literally seeing the campaign bus driving around that says Dean Phillips for president. Hey, want to focus on another story that you guys have been working on for the reformer and covering from co- covering. F- Uh, for quite some time, and that has to do with the police beating of Jaleel Stallings. Now, just to refresh your memory going back to May of 2020, uh, Jaleel Stallings was outside protesting against the police brutality and killing of George Floyd, and he was shot in the chest with a rubber bullet from an unmarked white van at a... at night at one point during those protests, and he shot back at the van in self-defense. Again, that was an unmarked van. By the time he realized the van he was shot was an unmarked police van, it was then too late as officers beat and kicked Stallings repeatedly while he lay prone on the ground, resulting in facial fractures. Criminal charges were originally brought up against Jaleel Stallings, unbelievably, but those were dropped. But now we have an update in this case, as one of the officers that was involved in the beatings with Stallings has been sentenced. As part of the police assault on Stallings, one of the officers has been sentenced as former Minneapolis officer Justin Stetson, Stetson rather is banned from serving law enforcement, will serve 15 days in the county workhorse, workhouse, was ordered to pay about a $3,000 court fine, and he must enroll in anger management courses and cannot use firearms and will serve about 30 to 90 days of community service as well. So. Um uh, looking at the sentence right now, I think there are a lot of people that are thinking, well, maybe this officer should have gotten more. And that certainly seems to be the reaction from Stallings as well, as it seems like uh, he thought the officer possibly should have gotten more from this case, from this sentencing as well, correct?
1: Yeah, and I, I just want to correct something you oh, said yeah. about the charges against Stallings being dropped. That he was actually, he faced a jury of peers and oh, that's he was acquitted. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, he had to undergo uh, you know, a year of a uh, very uh, difficult process. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you, you, you fracture somebody's eye socket, you, you generally expect you're going to get um, more than a little bit of house arrest. Um, but that's, uh, that's the, uh, that was the sentence. Um, and then the other issue that uh, Jaleel Stallings brought up is that uh, Stetson is apparently the only one who's going to face charges. Um, so, uh, and in fact, we also know that, um, the, the sergeant who, uh, was manning this team, uh, going around, uh, f- for lack of a better word, joyriding around the city and shooting 40 millimeter rounds at folks. Um, he actually took a, some kind of workers comp, uh, settlement, so, um, mm-hmm. So it's it's even worse than you Not only was he not prosecuted, he was not fired, and he actually got a settlement. So um, luckily, uh, I shouldn't say luckily. I, I should say um, that uh, Jalil is really trying to make something good out of this, and he's taking uh, a good portion of the city settlement money. Uh, it was a million and a half dollars. Uh, to to create a nonprofit that will work for police reform, um, and certainly uh, wishing the best of luck there. Um, it's been quite a uh, quite a road, um, and it's been really uh, fascinating. Um, certainly for our reporter, Dina Winter, who's followed this from the get-go, including the uh, starting with that acquittal uh, a couple years ago.
0: I want to back up to something you had mentioned as well—the fact that Stetson is likely to be the only officer facing any charges in this case. I'm I'm curious why exactly that's going to occur and why that's going to why he's going to be the only officer sentenced. Because if I remember correctly, it, it seemed like the, there were several officers involved in the in the beatings of Stalling. So, I'm, have we gotten any reasoning as to why he's the only person facing charges, or or is is there just a lack of evidence, or uh, from prosecution saying we wouldn't have enough to possibly get these other officers charged because that that seems interesting only one of these officers is going to get charged in this case.
1: Yeah, they didn't, generally don't tell you why they they're not prosecuting. I mean, they I think they just don't think that they mm. uh, they don't have to sound a case. I mean, in the case of Stetson, he did most of the the beating um and they have a lot, I think it's all a lot it's on it's all on video. So it's um and he and he was clearly on video, the beating really continued after uh Stallings was clearly unarmed and, and he had uh, I mean he was subdued. There, there was he was actually handcuffed. So um I think they just had a, a, a airtight case here. Um and, and the others would be more complicated. And let's be honest, I, I think prosecutors are probably uh not real um eager to to prosecute cops. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, there, there is some truth to that. I, I would uh, definitely agree. Well, we are just about out of time. We have been speaking with Patrick Hulican, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer. Uh, by the way, make sure you check out another uh, piece they worked on uh, by Madison McVann talking about the lack of child care uh, – workers in minnesota you can check that out over at minnesotareformer.com as well as the other stories we covered for the latest in minnesota news and politics again go to minnesotareformer.com patrick as always thanks for coming on the show today appreciate it always a pleasure all right let's take a break and send things back over to matt mcneil on am 950